0: Welcome to the 2016 College Football Playoff Pod Spectacular featuring Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Washington. Brought to you by Polsbo RV. And now, your host. Nick
1: toll
0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host Nick, and we're here with the college football playoff pod Stravaganza episode. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, my name is Nick. I co-host this show with my um, good alumni friends, Ben and Cody. Um, but tonight we are joined by a panel of college football fans and alums of the various college football playoff teams. Uh, so based out here live with me, I'll flip it over to our University of Washington representative.
1: What's up? Uh, I'm Wilbur Hooks Hands uh, from representing HardcoreHusky.com and the Washington Huskies before we
0: go on, what's up with that name?
1: Uh, Wilbur hooks. So Wilbur hooks was, uh, a receiver back in my day, uh, when I was going to the UW, uh, went there from 99 to 03. Uh, Wilbur hooks was the greatest recruit we ever had out of the state of Alaska. And, uh, the name comes from like when we used to play intramural, uh, football. If you made a play, if you came down with a ball, you'd kind of style on him and say, I got those Wilbur hooks hands. And, uh, that's kind of where it came from. So shout out to Wilbur hooks. I don't know what he's doing right now. Hopefully he's better than <laughs>
0: Let's move west to east. We got someone representing Alabama.
2: Yeah, this is the bulldozer representing Alabama and all the Walmarts near you. All
0: right. Is that Bama Jim? The bulldozer. We'll refer to you as bulldozer, I suppose. Um, And lastly, let's go to our Ohio State representative in Columbus.
3: Hey, guys. This is Joe Gunther, also known as BZ, which is a high school nickname. Don't ask. Don't tell. What's going on? cool well, great to have you guys um for the format
0: of this show we're gonna go around the horn here team to team and understanding state of the program where your guys heads are as fans and talk a little bit about the the respective matchups we'll go number one through four um and of course have some banter throughout uh so should be fun um i guess first let's let's flip it to the bulldozer um bama jim <laughs>
3: Everything Bama.
0: Alabama Crimson Tide.
2: Everything Bama. Really? What? Bama. 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 Bama.
0: Bama. Want to get a sense for you from you, you know, Alabama's riding high. You guys are 13 and 0 coming into the playoffs here. Ranked number 1. Pretty much wire to wire number 1 this season. How's that? you know, what's the state of play in Alabama? You know, you guys have been here before. You've been on the perch. Do you feel like this is the best Alabama team coming into the into this playoff season that you've seen in your time as a fan?
2: Uh, it's hard to say. It might be. It's maybe 1A, 1B, but uh, it's really up there. Um, we have a great defense, but I think our offense is way underrated. Jalen Hurts, our quarterback, by the end of the year, after two more games, should be a 3,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher. Um, I really think our offense is going to win us the games. Our defense has won us a lot so far, but our offense has been way underrated. And from what Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban have been able to do in off seasons recently is they get our offense real clicking. We'll bring in somebody, the new X factor, like last year versus Clemson. It was OJ Howard. I'm hoping we'll do something very similar to that this year and just really click in the postseason and wipe the floor with everybody.
0: Yeah, Please don't mention the name O.J. Howard ever again on this show. Um, We're still smarting from that one um, last year in the national championship game. Uh, In terms of, you know, speaking on behalf of your fan base, do you feel like, you know, fans at this point are pretty pleased overall with how the coaching staff has operated? You know, there's a lot of chatter right now about some of the the coordinators um, interviewing for other jobs, Lane Kiffin in particular. We've obviously seen a lot of those move on in recent years, and the team hasn't seemed to miss a beat. Um, maybe the question here is, you know, what's the vibe among the Alabama fan base? Is it just, you know, all sunshine or are there some areas that you guys are concerned about?
2: Um, against the, uh, uneducated mass of them, it's all sunshine and roses. But, uh, I think a lot of us are worried about the special teams. Um, we've been letting up a lot of yards on kickoffs and punt returns and our place kicker uh, is better at smoking cigarettes and kicking field goals. He's, uh, Too busy doing other things, and he's just missing field goals way too often. Uh, But on the uh, assistant coaches leaving, um, I really don't think it's – I feel like our assistant coaches are kind of like our recruits. We just kind of reload every year. We lost Kirby Smart last year, reloaded. If we lose Lane Kiffin, we'll reload. We got uh, Sarkeesian waiting in the wings to go, even though I wouldn't be surprised if he went to uh, help out the other ex- Alcoholic down in uh, Baton Rouge with Coach O, so we'll see what happens there. Lane Kiffin, I think, I don't think he'd be another a good head coach. He's a great assistant coach, but he's failed in the NFL and the NCAA. So I just don't see any big time program willing to pull the trigger on him. Even U of H said he was scary, even though I think he walked away from that because uh, Tilman Fertitta, one of their big boosters, got on the phone, uh, got called into a radio talk show last night. And said that it wasn't, it was their decision to leave, not Kiffin's. So we'll see what it comes out of that in the future. But if they leave, we'll reload. We're fine. Um, but I think special teams is what's gonna bite us. So if we lose, it's gonna be special teams. Turnovers in special teams, we fumble, we muff pumps, punts, it'll, it'll happen.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the offense and freshman Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, for those of us that haven't watched every Alabama game religiously this year, could you describe for us sort of the progression he's made through this season? And if you, you know, in this playoff, do you, do you really, you mentioned before you think the offense will win you games. Is that going to be, you know, on his arm or is that Calvin Ridley? Is that, you know, another aspect of this team?
2: Um, I think it's going to be his arm over his legs. I think people are going to play defense to his legs because towards the end of the season, his arm started, to falter. So people we started relying on the run game more. Um, but like in the beginning of the season when we played USC, he was throwing bombs downfield the whole game. Um, USC, the team that beat Washington and the team that we destroyed, just putting that out there. Um, but we were th- he was throwing bombs early in the season. I think he started getting in his own head and overthinking things. Uh, so he started relying on his legs. So I think defenses are going to probably play to his legs and force him to throw. But he has the ability to throw. Um, he showed that before. Hopefully he can get back in that – early to mid-season form where he was throwing it really well, spreading it around, because towards the end he was locking on receivers and not really spe- spreading it around. Um, but, again, he has already 2,600 p- passing yards, 22 touchdowns, 65% completions. So he's doing – He's his arm's there. It's just not – towards the end of the season it started to falter.
0: Got it. And you could definitely expect the break here to help him out in terms of preparation for Washington. Let's keep it with the Huskies. What, from what you know about Washington, um, what maybe has surprised you as you started to read up on them some more? I know Dan's probably been in your ear all year about this team. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Hook's hands has been in your ear all year about this this team. But uh, what's surprising you about Washington? And you know, is, does any of that play into your fears for this this first game in Atlanta?
2: Uh, the thing that surprises me the most is that their head coach is depressed from watching Alabama film. I I never thought a head coach would say that. It's not a football thing to say. You're supposed to be like, oh, no, we're going to win this game. Bill Belichick it. Don't come out and sell. don't tell the truth. You never tell the truth in the press conference. Uh, but in reality, the thing that scares me the most is uh, their run option. Um, I don't like run option. They never call the man downfield. There's always a line man like six yards downfield. Never call it. I watch, the few Washington games I've watched, linemen are all over the place. Never call it. So that's what I worry about is uh, the run option and throwing it over our heads. Because uh, our defense is built to stop the run. We have some fast corners and safeties, but our front seven is what wins us games. And they're going, they're downhill type of guys, cash rest types of guys. So I'm worried that we're going to get caught looking at the ball and get something thrown over our head. Especially because we have some injuries in the secondary. So I just... The long ball is what scares me the most. What was your
0: favorite Alabama win over a top 20 offense?
2: Uh, the SEC was not a strong offensive conference this year, uh, so I don't know if we had any of those. Um, but
0: Actually, it looks like USC might have crept into the, the top 20 there, um, but certainly when you guys played them, they, they were not um, effective on offense, both through what Alabama did and I think in general they – they still had to find their footing as a team.
1: Well, they're um, a different quarterback. Yeah, that,
2: that helped them a lot. That helped them a lot, <laughs> changing quarterbacks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's part of the national perspective here is that Alabama has certainly looked great, um, but have they really faced elite offenses? You know, We keep hearing about Ole Miss and Texas A&M, and it seemed like they, they were good teams on, on offense but not necessarily that elite level. Um, and I think it'll be, you know, one of the things oh, no, I, I
2: watched a couple of a games. They're not good in any, any form of the, their punter's good. They got a good punter. That's the a team right now. But uh, yeah, I would not say they really faced any strong offenses throughout the year.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting seeing Washington come in with what they've been able to do. Um, we'll definitely hear more, more about that team coming up. Um, any last thoughts, I guess, from the Alabama side on, on this playoff and how you think things are going to shake out?
2: I figured out why Alabama was going to win the other day. It's because in the pre-built GIF library on an iPhone, if you type in Alabama, there's like 40 Alabama football things that come in. I went through University of Washington. I typed in Huskies, U-Dub, not a single GIF. The GIF is going to win it for us. I'm telling you that now, calling it. We're going to win it because of the GIF.
0: Can't mess with that. Um, well, thank you, Bulldozer. Uh, we welcome any of your comments on any of our sort of Uh, team inputs I think you've you've definitely faced all of our teams in the past couple of years Um, this will be your first matchup at Washington probably in some time have you guys faced off before
1: 1928 Rose Bowl
2: oh yeah oh yeah 28 that was a good year good year
1: Bama won it for the South put the South (laughs) on the map
0: And Tigers
1: all right uh, I'm gonna take over here Nick you can't I mean you're hosting your show but you can't host and talk about your team at the same time so That's true. I'm gonna take over the format here let's move on to Clemson number two team in the country um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just stick with the format. Let's start with the state of the program. Where are you at with the Tigers right now? Coming off the Natty appearance last year, uh, staying strong. One loss this year. Where are you at?
0: Yeah, I mean things things are good as a Clemson fan right now. On this show, we talk a lot about you know obviously we're we're in the moment. We're in 2016. We're focused on you know what's happening with this team and pursuing that championship. But we also emphasize taking a step back and appreciating like where how good we have it right now. And we're in an era where Clemson, we're now back-to-back ACC champs, second consecutive trip to the playoff. Only Alabama's been back twice in a row. Um, we're, coming, we're in an era right now where we have six straight 10-win seasons. So sort of, at least in, in terms of how long I've been a Clemson fan, you know, sort of unprecedented success in the modern era of football. We had a run in sort of the late 70s and 80s that was really nice under our, our coach Danny Ford then. But this is a renaissance, again, under Dabo Sweeney. Um, So we're trying to appreciate that while at the same time kind of focusing on, you know, the the prize still ahead. Uh, You know, in that stretch, you talk about Clemson um, wanting to excel and keep moving up the the ladder, the layer cake of, you know, blue bloods in college football. Um, In that six year, 10 win season stretch, it's not like we've just been beating up ACC opponents Um, in our bowl games and in our out of conference games. You know, we've taken down Oklahoma twice. We beat Ohio State. We've beaten Florida State and Notre Dame, and in seasons when they were actually a quality opponent, um, Georgia and LSU also. This year, we took on you know a pretty pretty talented Florida State and Auburn team, both won both of those games on the road in pretty hostile environments, and then uh, really took down a Louisville team that was dismantling opponents um, early on in the season. So you know things are good from a Clemson standpoint in terms of coming into this year and where we are in the era. Um, I think this year in particular was, um, something where it it was a success. Look, we're back, we're back in the playoff number two team in the country. We were preseason number two. So, you know, in, in, some aspects you could say like, all right, you kind of held serve and lived up to that expectation. Um, but at a macro level, you know, now's the time and we need to, you know, as fans appreciate where we are, but our window with Deshaun Watson is closing, you know, this is his. Um, junior season, you know, all signs are pointing to him going to the league this year. He gone, he gone good for him. You know, I'm hearing some craziness about a second and third round draft grade. Like we'll see about that. Um, But in general, like it's really, we started this year talking about it's championship or bust um, with, with Clemson. And uh, that indicates to you, some of the expectations that we, you know, we've had as fans for this season. Um, So coming in just now through the playoff with the number two ranking should be good for most fans. Right. But I think um, we've seen how this team has come through this season and won some of its games Um, has left a lot to be desired from us in terms of dominating what we felt were lesser opponents. Um, You know, we had coming into this year, the main cogs of our offensive machine coming back with Watson, with a lot of our our wide receiver talent and our starting running back. Um, And, you know, you might say we play down to certain opponents and you know offense hasn't really been as effective as a year ago running the ball um you know turnovers and lapses have kept lesser teams in games and the one loss we sustained this year was against Pitt in a game where Deshaun threw for three touchdowns and 580 yards he also turned the ball over three times twice in the red zone Um, and we couldn't get a crucial third down and short and fourth down and short um, conversion to ice the game Pitt turned around and drove on us and kicked a game winning field goal. Um, so in general, I mean, I think like a really solid season, um, for Clemson, maybe not the sharpest offensively now on the other side of the ball for the past two seasons, we've sent, you know, multiple guys into the NFL draft on defense. Um, a lot of, a lot of people were expecting Clemson to have a defense ranking sort of in the twenties. You know, Brent Venables is kind of a miracle worker with, um, taking lesser talent and, Um, you know, getting the, and his coaching staff for sure, getting them ready to compete at a high level. But I don't think anyone expected them to come in and have a a top six defense in the country. And I think that's a big reason why Brent Venables won the Broyles Award for the top assistant in college football. Um, He was a finalist last year. And I think Kirby Smart won last year, actually. But uh, this year it was Venables. So the defense has been amazing. And, you know, we'll talk about when we dig into this OSU matchup, you know, aspects of that defense that I think will be difference makers. Uh, But really, again, from a state of the program standpoint, it seems like we can continue to uh, manufacture winning defense. I think it will remain to be seen for Clemson moving up into the upper echelon of these college football blue bloods. Can they do it again with the offense? Once Deshaun Watson leaves, you know, can't um, the signs are pointing to, we have a lot of good talent coming in at the quarterback position. We basically have two of the top five QB recruits coming on in this next recruiting class. Um, and then we're also looking at the number one of 2018 as well. So, uh, you know, the future looks bright. Obviously, you guys know recruits don't always pan out. Uh, but things are definitely, you know, looking good in, in Clemson Nation at the moment.
1: All right. So you talk about the matchup with Ohio State. In your own words, championship or bust. Didn't quite get there last year. Hell of a game, though. Um, so what what's going to be different this year? What's going to allow your Clemson Tigers to finally – You know, well, maybe not finally get over. We're just talking about the first round here. But how are you going to get past Urban the Ohio State Buckeyes?
0: I think with this Clemson team, and we look for factors that's going to lead to a Tiger victory. You're naturally drawn to the offense, and I think a big factor in this game is going to be the play and the presence of team leader Deshaun Watson. Um, Ohio State really does have a very stellar defense with few clear flaws um, that are obvious to the outside observer. But Deshaun Watson is far and away the best quarterback, this Buckeyes defense will face all year. And he's starting to get more involved in the running game. Um, I think that's gonna be a key factor here, um, just in testing and spreading out this defense um, and making sure that they need to be disciplined and keeping an eye on Deshaun. I think that's gonna open up the game for Mike Williams, who's definitely going to have um, sort of a physical advantage against the Buckeyes uh, secondary. Staying on the topic of the Buckeyes secondary, The SB Nation site for Ohio State, Land Grant Holy Land, has had a few really good profile pieces on Clemson and some of the areas that could expose them. And they talked about, you know, certainly Mike Williams' talent on the outside is going to be important against um, their corners and with safety coverage over the top. Uh, But an area where they see the biggest flaw for that defense is actually covering slot receivers. So that's where they believe Tavis Scott could actually be an X-factor for this offense, and I tend to agree with that. You know, um, Tony Elliott has utilized Artavis in a number of different ways, certainly in the sweep game, um, as well as in bunch formations. So um, anyway, look for Artavis to get involved here and have an impact on this game. I think if he's able to do that and, you know, is not only increasing targets, but catches, um, that'll bode well for this Clemson offense. Uh, But certainly, I think Deshaun's presence here is going to be a big factor in a Clemson win. Um, I think he has, We've talked about this in the past, you know, some motivation, um, you know, focus coming into this game, recent Heisman snub, um, a lot of talk and chatter about where his draft position will be, um, and then just in general, his comments just about, you know, eyes on the prize, desire to win a championship in his uh, last, last run through here with Clemson. I think all those things will factor into, um, you know, him being a difference maker in this game, and the guy's a winner. Um, I think, you know, we can't necessarily look past that either. Um, elsewhere Clemson has faced five top 20 defenses Um, and in those games we've averaged 35 points per game you know you you take that into account and even despite our turnover issues and a year when we've had a less effective run game Clemson's putting up points um, against really strong defenses I think when you look to Ohio State and their offense and their ability to score they've faced three top 20 defenses this season Penn State Wisconsin and of course Michigan the top defense in the country and they, they have struggled in those games to put up points. Now, granted, they won two of three of those games. The two victories came in overtime um, against those those Big Ten rivals. Um, but I think in this, you know, just looking at this track record, um, Clemson has shown an ability to to put up points. You know, even despite facing a really strong defense like what they'll see on the field in Glendale. Um, and just in general, I feel like I favor Clemson in a shootout situation. You know, they've been in these games. They figured out. You know how to score points against stronger defenses. Um, those defenses, Auburn, NC State, Louisville, Florida State, and Virginia Tech all landed in the S&P Plus top 20 defensive category. Um, so I would give you know, Clemson that edge and just track record of, of points per game. Um, and sort of the last reason I think Clemson will win this game, or if we do, this, these are reasons why. I think the largest advanced stats discrepancy you know, in this game between different units does favor Clemson. Um, the Tigers defensive passing efficiency has a much stronger Delta versus Ohio State's passing offense than Ohio State's rushing offense has against Clemson's run defense. Um, so, you know, Ohio State moves the ball on the ground with with great effectiveness. A lot of that's due to JT Barrett. Um, but you know his ability to scramble. I, I, he had more rushing attempts actually than anyone on their team this season, which is remarkable. Um, so anyway, the the stats discrepancy does favor Clemson, and you know I, I do see this one potentially being a high scoring game and in a shootout type game. I'm not sure that Ohio State running the ball will be as much of a factor. Um, I think I also trust Brent Venables to design ways for Clemson's front to get pressure without compromising the back seven's ability to cover. Ohio State's wide receiver options. Um, Curtis Samuel is certainly a liability, particularly over the flats. Uh, but I think in general, um, you know, Ohio State's receivers are a young core. And, um, you know, they're, they don't scare me too, too much here, um, especially if we're going to be getting pressure all day with the front. So um, in general, I think those are the reasons why Clemson wins here. And we've also been in this game before, been to Glendale a year ago. Uh, Ohio State was actually also in Glendale a year ago for their bowl game, um, and they, they handled Notre Dame in that one. But um, you know, having played a couple of playoff games, Ohio State won it all two years ago, so a lot of guys on this team had that experience. But they are certainly a young team who hasn't necessarily faced this type of exposure um, across their entire unit, whereas Clemson's really only getting you know contributions from true freshmen in a couple of different spots in this full, full roster. So... Um, Feel strong about Clemson in this one, you know, based on these factors.
1: All right, man. That's a lot of, lot of reasons why Clemson's going to come out with the dub. Um, let me ask you this. What could go wrong?
0: So Clemson, as everyone knows, has played a lot of close games this season. And a lot of that has to do with turnovers and sort of leaving, letting teams stick around in games. Um, some of it also has to do with teams making adjustments and the the core of the offense taking some time to recover from that, uh, you know, in second quarters and leading into the second half, at times. Uh, so I think you know, the biggest factor here could be you know self inflicted wounds actually coming back to bite Clemson against a very strong opponent. Um, I think that one of the big reasons Clemson can, can lose this game though is if the Buckeyes are able to dominate field position and time of possession in this game and, and really keep Clemson's offensive firepower on the bench um, I think this can happen in a number of different ways JT Barrett as mentioned um, gets a, a lot of carries and a lot of looks per game on the ground he's able to extend drives and you know get thir- third down conversions second down second down and longs with his feet um, just because we're not able to get pressure or you know we're we're not able to take him down you know, that can definitely keep that clock ticking in their direction um, Clemson also has an issue with uh, field position, starting field position for opponents' offenses. And you know, we can point to Andy Teesdall's ability to kick beyond 40 yards per punt um, in this one. Turnovers as well can kill Clemson drives uh, and not, you know, lead to, to precious points on the scoreboard um, that are gonna be at a premium in this game. Elsewhere, other factors I think Clemson can lose this game. Uh, Curtis Samuel can expose our linebacker cores and core and coverage, um, over the flat. And, you know, he'll be moving all around the field. I think, you know, expect to see him very active in this offense. Uh, and Ohio State does have a, a, a very stark advantage in their rushing offense, uh, S P plus advanced stats metrics relative to Clemson's defensive, uh, run, run stoppage. Uh, so that can be a factor too. If you get, you know, mentioned JT already, but if you can get, um, Weber going on the ground, you know, that could be an advantage here for Ohio State that I think can contribute more to that time of possession factor. Um, I kind of look at Ohio State's offense as a little bit like a a younger Clemson offense. Um, They don't necessarily have as many receiver options that, you know, have the deep threat or um, really any of the household names like Mike Williams, Deion Kane, even guys that we love, like Hunter Renfro, um, you know, Certainly some very talented receiver core. Um, they, they do a great job recruiting. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of look at them as a younger Clemson, but I think that group is talented enough, and they've got a leader in JT Barrett that can expose an undisciplined secondary and linebacker core in coverage. Last area where Clemson can get, get, get beaten in this game, I think, is if our offensive line gets outmanned. Um, if Deshaun Watson sees pressure, um, Ohio State has a very strong defensive front. Uh, that I don't think they get enough credit for. You know, they're in the same conference and the same division as Michigan, which had the number one defense on the year. But Ohio State is not far behind. I think they're number three or number four in the country. Um, very disciplined defensive front that can get pressure. You know, we, Clemson's offensive line has um, not necessarily played as well as they did one year ago. Um, so they're going to have to really sh- show up in this game. And I could see Ohio State, you know, spending some time in our backfield. Um, if They're able to do that, and Deshaun gets pressured, that could be problematic. And then we may not also be able to create a bit of a credible run pass option look, or even you know, effectively get the play action working um, to be able to move the ball out to the receivers. So, uh, if our O line is outman in this game, that could definitely contribute to an Ohio State victory. Um, last thing I'll mention I think when it comes to just overall team efficiency, Clemson. Definitely had the yards per play and the yards per game advantage over Ohio State um, in terms of team offense, but had a real disadvantage when it came to points per possession. And I think that you, that goes back to the amount of turnovers. And um, I think Clemson's red zone efficiency was improved this year. You know, we were scoring touchdowns versus settling for field goals or you know petering out and not scoring points. Um, but I think in general, like those points per possession. Points per opportunities to score uh, are, are mandatory that Clemson get into the end zone, or at least, at the very least, get Greg Hugel going. Um, so that, again, that kind of discrepancy or disadvantage between the points we're scoring per possession and the yards and our ability to move it, I think could be a big factor in an Ohio State victory.
1: All right, I got a curveball for you. I'm gonna just throw one more on at you. you. I'm going to need you to comment on uh, Dabo's alleged tax fraud and bootlegging operations.
0: Bring your own guts. Bring your own accountant. I, I don't know what. I haven't heard of this. This is news to you. It is indeed.
1: The dozer dozer threw that one out there. I mean, he's just he's just producing right now live via Skype. So I just I just threw it at you. You didn't know that was coming.
2: Somebody's already edited it off his Wikipedia. What was that? It's already been edited off of his Wikipedia. It was oh, only it's not real like, then. Three
1: it's not
0: citable. Can't cite it. Citation needed. State Buckeyes. Well, guys, let's flip over to Ohio State and we'll go to BZ real quick. Um, Joe, Urban Meyer has the Buckeyes back into the playoff. um, And from what he's been saying, he feels like this team is developing even earlier than they had expected. What's the feeling right now in, in Buckeye Nation about this football team?
3: Yeah, this team coming into the season really felt like a big question mark with all the departures and all the pieces that we lost. You know, the one constant felt like JT Barrett. And um, when you have a quarterback that is a known quantity, it feels a little bit better. But the defense, as it was a big question mark, we knew they were talented, you know, but how many mistakes are you going to make? What kind of impact is that going to have on your team? And what does that mean moving forward when the expectations are so high? So. I think that as an Ohio State fan with Urban Meyer at the helm, it feels like it's playoff or bust. But even with this team, as we looked at it, as you looked at the schedule, you knew it was going to be tough. I don't think anybody knew the Big Ten was going to be this tough this year um, or that this team would rise to the occasion like it did. Obviously, there's been some flaws, but I think to be where we are, we're really – really excited as an organization, but also kind of like, uh, all right, well, this might be status quo moving forward and kind of sets expectations through the roof.
0: Buckeyes fans have to be super pleased with the job Urban Meyer's done overall, both in recruiting and obviously he has a title to his name here at Ohio State. How have the past few years gone as a Buckeye fan um, through the, the end or the, the downturn of the Trestle era? Uh, really, how is that process like and where do you guys feel like coming out of that now?
3: Yeah, so that's an interesting question, especially for the fans out here in Columbus because the transition from Trestle felt rough, you know. Trestle was obviously a great coach. It felt like Ohio State was always in it, had a couple opportunities, obviously, in national championships. Um, But after getting shredded by Urban, it felt like, you know, and again, by LSU, it felt like we might need to kind of switch it up a little bit. And then with everything that happened, at Ohio State and all the change, the Luke Fickle season felt like it was kind of doomsday and we might be regressing quite a bit from Trestle. It was almost like a you-didn't-know-what-you-had situation. And then all of a sudden Urban decides to come back to coaching and he's bringing in these recruits that are through the roof. You know, he's a much more dynamic head coach. With Trestle, it was much more of a pounded-out, three yards in a cloud of dust, old-school Big Ten football, get a lead, sit on it. You know, a guy who said the punt is the most important play of the game, turning to Urban and his, you know, spread style, H-back, quick hitters, get guys in space, spread the rock, get some speed out of the South. You know, it was a really big change, and I think it's exciting. Um, It's very different, again, from the style that we came accustomed to with Trestle, even though he had some dynamic football players. Um, It just felt like the team was always better, but, you know, was kind of just – working out wins, grinding them out, doing things different. We're not beating, you know, good football teams, 62 to three in Nebraska, Maryland, like we did this year. Um, but it's exciting at this point, you know, we're getting recruits. We're talking about in the recruiting trail. We look forward to the next year. It feels like this, this team might've taken a step back, but didn't we're back in the playoff. And I think the future's bright.
0: Joe, you wake up on new year's day, Ohio States won the game. What is the headline in the Columbus dispatch read? And then what were the keys to that victory?
3: Uh, I think the headline reads JT and Raquan lead Bucks stave off Deshaun's last second effort. And I'll tell you why. This Ohio State team has been one that feels like a gritty performer. JT is often down, but never feels like he's out. And they have the mental toughness. And now with these young guys, the talent to compete at the highest level. I think that we've come up with big plays on defense and offense when it's counted most. And I feel like it's going to be, you know, the microcosm of the season. If you watch the Michigan game, I think it's going to feel a lot like that. And what makes me nervous is the explosiveness and talent on the offensive side of the football for Clemson and the X factor that is the quarterback.
0: Yeah, for sure. I feel like um, Curtis Samuel also, to me seems like urban Myers, you know, next iteration or incarnation of Percy Harvin and um, could definitely see, you know, his play, including Raekwon and JT, you know, be, being the deciding factor in this game. Um, Joe, if it were to go the other way, what sort of elements of either Clemson's game sort of scare you as a Buckeyes fan or maybe turning a little more internally, um, where do you think Clemson's coaches should game plan against Ohio State if they, if they plan to come out of here with a win?
3: Yeah, I think on defense – you're stopping the run. You're stopping Mike Weber. You're stopping the read option with JT Barrett. Um, if you look at the games that we've really struggled, we kind of shrink our playbook, shrink into ourselves, try to let JT just grit it out, grind it out on the ground. To give you guys some perspective, JT this year has 194 carries. Wayne Gallman has 196. So Mike Weber on the Buckeyes, the number one, you know, the main running back, if you will has 177 carries, which is almost 20 less than JT, Urban trusts his quarterback. He wants him to get the ball in those tight situations, and it turns their offense from explosive into, like, let's get out of here alive mode. And as a fan, that's always scary, especially because we know how dynamic we can be on offense. Um, If you look at, in addition, on offense, what we've struggled with is – our wide receiver game has been lacking. Noah Brown has looked good, really good at times. He's a, a nice red zone threat, but it really shows something when Curtis Samuel moves from the H back Percy Harvin type role to a guy running flies and posts, trying to really get the vertical passing game going. I think JT's proven in the past that he can make those plays, but those were with three, four. You know, NFL wide receivers around him making big plays. Um, I think that our young team could show, you know, we've been pretty good on defense, but it's been a lot of really dynamic plays that have kind of saved us in tough moments. Um, and I think that we haven't seen an offense as explosive as Deshaun and company, you know, Wayne Gallman, you get Artavis Scott, you know, we haven't seen play in a spread format with the type of talent that Clemson has. And that of course, as a fan makes me nervous to see what's going to happen um, early on in the game on new year's Eve.
0: Joe, you mentioned something earlier about um, we talked about where urban, you know, believes this year's team in reloading sort of has arrived a year early, you know, making the playoff here. And we heard that before in back in 2014, ultimately when, Braxton Miller went down as a quarterback and um, you guys were left with a lot of question marks at the most important position. Clearly that worked out with the national title. Um, What parallels, if any, are you seeing with this year's team and Urban's ability to get production out of guys without that much on-field experience? And maybe where do you see the most differences with that team as we head into this playoff run?
3: Yeah, it's eerily similar from a personnel perspective. Um, If you look at If you look at the roster construction, kind of from the championship year, it felt like a lot of new faces, a lot of new names. We knew they were talented, but what was going to happen? We really wanted, you know, a Braxton Miller to step up and lead the team to the promised land because we didn't have. He was really the only known quantity, and again, we have that with J.T. Barrett. And of course, that year he went down with an injury, and things looked grim early on. I would say the biggest difference from that 14 team in the national championship run was we were coming into the playoff hot. We were feeling good about ourselves. I think that, you know, even Cardell showing up and going 59-0 on Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game was something that people couldn't have expected. And Ezekiel Elliott might have one of the greatest playoff performance of all time in the very first college football playoffs. It'll be really interesting to see kind of how that mood shifts moving forward. Like JT, again, is here. He's ready to roll. He didn't get a chance to play in the playoff last time we were there. Um, but this is really his team, and I think the guys around him will rally around his presence. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I think I think that Urban has a really good understanding of what motivates players, and young guys are re- ready to show that they're the next Zeke, they're the next Cardale, Devin Smith. Joey Bosa, et cetera. We've got talented players on the roster and I think he'll find a way to utilize those guys. Um, you talked a little bit about as a Clemson fan, what your expectations were. And it's interesting because again, this felt like it might be a down year, but now that we're here, I feel like the expectations are high for the Ohio state program moving forward. People in Columbus are constantly looking at the opportunity to get to the playoff. You know, it's hard when the big 10 championship game, which we didn't even get to play in this year, but we're in the playoff is a consolation prize because that makes it hard when you do go through a loss like Penn state and the season is so uncertain moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's, it's not like you guys are, you know, um, showing up here and it's a complete surprise that your team made it through. You know, you uh, you've been, you've had the number three, the number nine and the number three recruiting class in the country the last couple of years, Ohio State's got 70% four- or five-star recruits on its roster. Um, I think it's it's more like, okay, you know, this coaching staff got it done. They, they brought the right guys in. Um, and where you do have experience, you know, that has flourished, playing behind NFL players in the last few years. Um, I think for Clemson fans, when we talk about expectations, like, um, that really, again, I, I mentioned earlier wanting to see what, what the – the offensive coaching staff's kind of second or third act is after Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson, Um, if they can, you know, prove to maintain the offensive quality of this team, maybe we get to the point where you're in Ohio state and every year you can reload and compete for playoff bursts and big 10 championships. I mean, Clemson's basically right on that precipice. Um, I feel like that's a, that's kind of a program and a a fan base, you know, attitude that we want to, we want to achieve at at Clemson.
3: Yeah. when, To be back is so surreal because you feel like you still, even as an Ohio State program, kind of ebb and flow a bit. You know, the only team that doesn't really truly do that feels like it's Alabama. And it feels really good to say that we're here to stay and we got back even on what felt like could have been a very down year. Uh, quick
2: question, I wanted to know if y'all sent Nick Saban a Christmas card every year to thank him for running him, uh, Urban Meyer out of Florida and sending him your way.
3: <laughs> Absolutely, it feels like we were just talking about this um, after the Trestle era. It felt like we were on doomsday watch, but Urban's really brought a lot of energy back to the program.
0: Washington
1: Huskies,
0: break, 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 and rounding out our four, we've got Wilbur Hooks here to who's who's the fourth team in the? the Washington, Washington. Washington Huskies. University of Washington Huskies. So you guys play Alabama um, in the Peach Bowl, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Yes. Dan. Talk to the uneducated listener about who is the University of Washington. What's the state of y'all's program?
1: For the uneducated listener, to, to understand the state of the program now, we have to take it back. Um, the program's been in the desert for about the last 15 years. Um, ever since Rick Neuheisel was fired for uh, gambling allegations, um, he was actually allegedly ratted out um, by somebody for, for uh, participating in an NCAA pool. Um, he got run out. Uh, they hired internally. Keith Gilbertson was the guy that coached the UW for a long time. Under Don James as an offensive coordinator. Um, really, Keith Gilbertson be- began the demise of the program. That's when that's when things really went off the rails. So uh, Keith, uh, we call him Gilby. So Gilby kind of Gilby started the death of the program. Um, they tried to recover with Tyrone Willingham. We all know how that went. Um, next in line was Steve Sarkeesian. We all know how that went. So there's a lot of false prophets out there. Um, UW wandering in the desert, have, you know, worshiping false pro- false football prophets. Um, but then, Lo, uh, I want to get ecumenical for our friends in Bama there, our friends in the Southland. Um, it was a little bit of a divine inf- intervention uh, for UW. Things turned around. Uh, the true prophet, the, the true savior of the UW program um, was kind of was kind of given to us uh, from above, and that is actually uh, former USC athletic director, Pat Hayden. Um, Pat Hayden, through what what uh, honestly can only be described as divine intervention. I've talked to a lot of theologians about this. Um, everybody agrees. There's no other, this is a flat out miracle. Uh, he hired Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, seven win Steve at the time, right? Everybody knows the name. He hired Steve Sarkeesian away from the University of Washington for reasons unknown. Um, and paved the way for Chris Peterson to be hired from Boise State, the guy that everybody's been trying to hire for the last, what, seven, eight years. Uh, Oregon took a couple of swings. UCLA, I think, took a swing. SC uh, apparently took a swing. Another reason why uh, Pat Hayden is the savior of UW program is uh, USC actually had the chance to hire Chris Peterson, and and Pat Hayden said, no, you know what, I don't don't need this guy. I'm going to save him for the University of Washington. So we've been working on um, talking about you know, there's a Don James statue that's supposed to go up pretty soon, outside of Husky Stadium. But really, we got the we're going to start the Kickstarter for the Pat Hayden statue right after that. Uh, I've applied for um, uh, sainthood. Uh, I don't know, Jim uh, Dozer's Dozer's a Catholic, so he's going to have to walk me through it. But um, I don't know. I don't think you can actually be canonized um, while you're living. But uh, I've already started the pre the 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 pre the process of uh, canonizing Pat Hayden uh, posthumously. So. Uh, what, what the that cost to
2: become a saint is about a, a $100,000, just let you know. There's a lot of legal fees involved, so you're going to need to go fund me for that as well.
1: All right, we got boosters. We can we can make that happen. Um, so, yeah, so paved the way uh, for the hiring of Chris Peterson. Uh, first two years were pretty rough, you know. Everyone's like, hey, this guy's 92 and 12. He's going to come in, kick ass, do his thing. And it uh, turns out there's a whole lot of sark in this program um, that we kind of had to wring out. Uh, had to get Sark, you know usually it's like, oh got to get guys in there. We got to get Pete's guys in there. as much as as much as it was, we got to get Pete's guys in here is we got to get Sark's guys out because they're pretty much losers. Um, and there's still a couple there's still a couple dregs hanging on, um, but there this should be like the last the last bastion of the Sark holdouts after this class. So uh, first two years were rough, a lot of dissension amongst the ranks, people uh, people wondering is Pete the guy is Pete the guy? Um, the favorite saying was, this ain't the whack anymore. Um, uh, but good news, it turned out it's not the whack. It's the Pac-12, and it turns out Peterson can win it. Um, so here we are, 12-1 and 1 this year, uh, You know, lost to USC, Just kind of a bump in the road. Um, but pretty much we're, we're where everybody thought we should be um, at this time in the program in year three. Um, things are looking up. He's got the recruiting rolling in. Um, the classes are getting better and better. So we're really just it's, – it's kind of on the precipice of this may be the best that the UW program has ever been set up going into the future. You know, we won the Natty in 91, but that was kind of followed immediately by sanctions and the, the resignation of Don James, and that was really kind of like the end. Like we won the Natty and then it was just kind of a cliff and then the dark ages after that um, with the exception of the 2000 Rose Bowl. Uh, but this is – you know, we're set up well. Um, the whole team is so young. And the future's super bright, so here we go.
0: Talking about the <clears throat> current state of affairs, you guys heading in to play Alabama, I think eight to one looks like is the current odds Washington has to win that pull that game out. Um, what scenario, what needs to unfold in that game, in your opinion here, to see Washington come out with a win against Alabama?
1: There's a couple of – I mean, listen, I'm not going to sit here and talk about how we're going to beat the hell out of Alabama. Like, let's, let's get fucking real. Um, I, I mean, I think we can do it. So if, if through, through some miracle we manage to defeat Alabama, here's what might happen. Here's some reasons why, you know, we might be able to do it. Um, the defense and the secondary I think are really great. Uh, Alabama's a massive team. They'll bull, as a dozer knows, uh, they'll bulldoze you in the running game. Um, Washington's d line their their front three front four are gigantic um, they're about as big probably as Bama will see all year um, they're I think they average about 320 um, at minimum across the d line so we've got the we got the, the guys up front um, to at least stop the run we don't blitz much at all we actually blitz the least out of any any power five school um, because we got those big guys up front that just stop it up so um, we can always we always key in on stopping the run with those guys. And then what that allows us to do is the secondary for really to just be athletic and kind of take over the game. I think we really – our base is kind of a nickel. We actually run an extra DB. Um, Buda Baker, he's kind of a hybrid corner safety guy. And our secondary is – I mean, I'll just call him elite. There's three or four early um, NFL draft picks in there, uh, both corners and and Buda, the safety. Um, Those guys are athletic. They will hit the shit out of you. Um, And I think, you know, Jalen Hurts is – He'll turn the ball over, and if he can't just sit there and throw it around uh, Washington, because uh, the secondary is pretty damn good. Yeah, so. they're ball
0: hawks, and um, you guys have even sustained a pretty big injury um, to Azeem, right? And being able to overcome that.
1: <clears throat> yeah, middle linebacker Azeem Victor went down in the SC game. I think he broke his leg, which actually we're really going to miss in that game because he's the kind of he's the kind of thumper in the middle that we need against a big school like Bama. Uh, we got a, a redshirt freshman uh, DJ Beavers that filled in in the middle. And has been killing it, but, I mean, he's a smaller, faster uh, linebacker that works in the Pac-12, but um, I don't know how that's going to work against, against Bama. Um, we'd really love to have Zim there, but, you know, next guy up. Um,
0: Take me through the offense. What yeah. aspects of UW's explosive um, attack do you think match up well against the Alabama, who doesn't do a lot of things poorly?
1: I think the thing that's going to help UW's offense out the most is its balance. Um, I don't know if the SEC is not the, the greatest offensive conference, um, as we know, as even the dozer will admit, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of, you know, another kind of a three yards in a cloud of dust, as uh, Joe was talking about. Um, but the Huskies have the ability to either run the ball or throw the ball um, pretty well. Everybody talks about the Husky, pass, uh, the Husky passing game with Jake Browning, and, you know, John Ross is maybe the fastest guy the Bama defense we'll see all year. Um, Dante Pettis, who's the second receiver for, for UW, but also has like 14, 15 touchdowns. I mean, you can't, he's, he's supremely athletic you jump out of the building. Just can't leave him alone. Um, but it's really, I think what goes underrated. And we saw this in the Colorado game is that when the passing game gets shut down, UW can run the ball. They haven't run the ball as much because our offensive coordinator is, uh, challenged. Um, he, he, he's a former quarterback. He just wants to take deep shots. He never commits to the run. But he's got two backs back there. He's got Miles Gaskin averaging six yards a carry. He's got Levon Coleman averaging eight yards a carry. You know, it's not like these guys can't run the ball. Um, And the offensive line's got some Frankensteins on there. They're big dudes. Um, The left side is, they're both uh, all first team uh, Pac 12 linemen. Um, So I think we could run the ball on them. We can throw the ball on them. Um, We're just going to have to stay balanced. Um, I think we're going to need a game plan for pressure. Uh, Everybody knows that. Bams D line is probably the best unit in college football. They're going to get to us. I mean, that's just going to happen. Jonathan Allen's going to get back there. Who God knows who else is going to get back there. Uh, I think if we if we can prepare and and know that pressure is going to be coming, and you know maybe uh, have some quick outs ready, have some slants ready, some things that are going to some plays that are going to get the ball out of out of Jake's hands uh, quickly. Um, I think that's going to help him. And it's going to help our offensive game. Um, and finally. Um, Special teams, I mean, Jimmy alluded, or Dozer <laughs> alluded to special teams uh, being a weakness for Bama. Uh, our return game is really strong. John Ross and Dante Pettis are the kick and punt returners respectively. Uh, they're really good. I mean, in the Utah game, uh, you know, they've, John they've Ross and Pettis had a kick and punt return uh, in the same game together. Um, those guys will take it to the house. So if that has a weakness of Bama, um, we can probably, hopefully, you know, switch the field on them uh, with some big returns. But Uh, That's a big if
0: so Chris Peterson as you mentioned for years he's been getting four or five star level performance out of guys that are recruited at maybe a lower pedigree coming in Um, and with UW sitting in the 30s range the last few years in terms of rivals recruiting rankings clearly you guys are starting to pull some four and five stars Um, can you speak to sort of where you see that talent coming into this year's team.
1: Uh, the, the, the four or five star talent or the, the previous recruits?
0: Sorry. Some of the guys in the 30s that were comprising the last three classes, sort of where's Pete been able to um, sort of, you know, turn those guys into elite athletes,
1: um, performers rather performers. Uh, I mean, it's just coaching and development. I mean, the, probably the most impressive thing about Chris Peterson from almost any UW fan's perspective has been the player development. And he does it with a good mix of guys. He does it with some in, you know. Uh, he's been able to do it kind of with a three-tiered approach. Whereas Boise, he's just getting guys with chips on their shoulder, you know, guys under the radar. And he still gets those guys at Washington. Um, so it's kind of like he'll get those guys. He'll get um, He'll get the guys from the state of Washington, and then he's been able to pull some pretty big guys um, out of the state of California and actually has been, um, that California crew has been picking up a lot. Um, so I think w- what's really important is getting the elite, the, uh, having the elite Washington players stay home, coaching those guys up. Um, I think he's going to have to rely less and less on those diamond in the rough players because as Washington starts to win more, as the Washington uh, program kind of rises, uh, the brand gets a little bit more out there. Um, he's not going to have to, to, to kind of like pick pick diamonds out of the rough or needles out of the haystack anymore. Um, that being said, a lot of uh, what we have on the field right now is kind of a couple of those guys that came over from his first class in Boise, or I'm sorry, his last class in Boise. Um, when he came over to UW in a transition class, he basically just kind of brought all of his all of the recruits that he wanted from Boise with him, Greg Gaines, Dante Pettis, Um, uh, Tevis Bartlett, I think, or Will, uh, sorry, Will Disley. Uh, So basically a bunch of kind of like Wyoming State Player of the Year, Montana State Player of the Year, like these guys um, that no one would really give a shit about. Um, But these guys are playing at all Pac-12 levels um, for the Huskies. So, I mean, really... It, it goes to show that it's not like it, it, it's not that those guys were just playing in the Mountain West or whatever Boise was in. He can take those same players, bring them over to the Pac 12, coach them up, and they're still all conference players. So I think that says a lot about um, what him and his staff are able to do.
0: Facing up with Alabama reigning champs, you know, they look about as unbeatable as any team we've seen, you know, since sort of the Pete Carroll USC teams, the Miami um, teams of the early 2000s. Clearly, it's sort of a David and Goliath situation with UW coming in, Um, with eight to one odds stacked against you. Sort of, what are the what are the areas that you think are probably most likely to lead to a UW loss here?
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Where do we start? We got a list here. Uh, I got. I I mean, I think I have three main ones um, that we probably need to worry about the most. Uh, People might be a little bit surprised. The first one I'm going to throw out here is Jake Browning. Um, Statistically. Uh, actually, statistically, a superior quarterback to Deshaun Watson, more touchdowns, fewer interceptions, better QB rating. The thing is, he kind of shits down his leg um, when the going gets tough. Um, I want to give a shout out to a UW podcast uh, called "The Season Is Over," and they made this analogy uh, on their podcast this week. And I'm gonna am t- gonna take it a step further. They um, they kind of made a parallel between Jake being like a computer, right? He's got like he's like pre snap Jesus. And uh, he's kind of got the in the Peyton mold. If he sees everything before the snap, he's he's motioning his guys there. He's putting his guys in positions to to get the one on one and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when th- that's just kind of as far as he goes. When things stop going according to plan, he kind of shuts down. So they they were like, "Oh, Jake's computer back there." I mean, to me, like I don't know if he's kind of like. Have you seen Westworld? He's kind of like a Westworld host. It's like. He's like, in many ways, he's superior to, to to the rest of humanity, but he, like, hasn't quite made it to the middle of the maze yet. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not quite sure if he's conscious. He might still be, like, kind of a robot. So it's like, you know, when, when they get tripped up in the host and they don't, they kind of get off their loop and they're kind of... Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's kind of Jake when he sees pressure and when the play breaks down. Um, so. Sometimes
0: he'll get bailed out by some some guys in his team, sometimes not, and... We saw that in the Pac-12 championship. John Ross certainly bailed him out on a throwaway ball, turned into a touchdown. Incredible play. That's not happening all the time.
1: Yeah, and there's a great reaction from Peterson on that. Um, if you go back and look at the gist. But, um, yeah, I mean, he he's just he he just has trouble with pressure sometimes. In the SC game in particular, people saw the game's nationally televised game. Um, he really didn't have anywhere to go with the ball in that game because we're just running for I mean. The play calling get completely broken down. We're running four goes. Everybody's forty yards down the field. So I mean, some he's he's decent with the check down when there's a check down there, um, but it's it's not always there. And you um, expect
0: Alabama to get that that pressure?
1: I definitely expect Alabama to get the pressure. So like I said, I think we need a game. I think we need to go into the game game plan around that. Um, so I mean, Jake, you know, Jake could be Jake and Jake could be big game Jake, and that wouldn't be the best look for you, Dub. Um, uh, number 28 Sam Wuching uh, Sam is uh, kind of he's an outside linebacker he's an edge guy which is probably the one weakness of our defense is the edge um, this guy's a senior um, he's almost out of the program but he's like basically the he's like the personification of like a stick of eye black Like if he's like he's like the human form of like what people think of when they look at like Bryce Harper you know uh, also an accomplished fire dancer Hawaiian fire dancer but like basically like Bama could, Bama could offensive, offensively game plan this game in, like, five seconds. They could – Lane and Sark could go into a room. They could say, we're running the ball at 28. They could come out of the room. They could say, Nick, we're done. And it would be a solid game plan. Um, so there's that. Um, Psalm, uh, God bless him. You know, he loves the program. Uh, he plays hard sometimes. Uh, but he's just not very good at, at football. Um, Last thing, uh, we've talked about special teams, the return side of the game, um, which is a strength. The punting side of the game, not really a strength. Um, our punter's fucking terrible. Uh, it's kind of like uh, he does the rugby style. So, I mean, like the best way I can describe it is like, like if you ever seen Three Stooges <laughs> where like Curly is kind of like, kind of like, you know when he runs in place and kind of winds up a little bit for whatever he's doing? It's kind of like if, if like Curly was your punter. So he kind of like runs, you know, kind of hesitate and run in place and then just, you know, kind of like shank it out of bounds or whatever. So I I don't – like three stages is the best way to describe it. So – and I think that's going to be super crucial. Uh, I mean, field position is probably going to play a huge part in this game and um, we're not going to be getting it from the punting game most likely.
0: Yeah, we know that pain in in Clemson as well. Um, Fair enough. Maybe last question on Washington, you know, for – for fans that look out to the Pac-12 and, you know, they, they're used to seeing Stanford and Oregon. Um, you mentioned getting teams like USC and Utah back on the, back on the, the radar and the map at the top of that conference. Um, sort of what gives you hope for the future that it is a changing of the guard and not like a one-year deal or whatever? Not just in Washington's case, but, I mean, do you see Stanford coming back into the picture? Seem to think Oregon's out of it, et cetera.
1: Oregon's out of it. I don't see Stanford coming back to the level where they were at. Um, I don't know if I have much faith in David Shaw developing quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, luck is luck. Um, Hogan was kind of there in the system, uh, there in the program already. Um, And, you know, who knows what's happening after that. You saw this year, like, they didn't really get a lot out of the quarterback position. And Shaw might leave for the NFL. I mean, who knows? So I'm not super worried about Stanford in the long run. Um, I I don't see anybody else from like ucla is just ucla uh i'm not worried about colorado I, I don't know any i mean sc is kind of the to me the longest term threat um and thank god the way their scheduling works i mean we don't see them again until like 2019 in the regular season so you know we may see a lot of uwsc twelve championships which would be cool um but i just i i just don't and and even SC like clay helton like no one's really sure like if, if he can sustain success there or not i know they've had a big year this year but i i just we we need to see more from out of him as well um so i mean i think i'll put usc up there by default because of the talent they get um and it's kind of effortlessly but i don't i don't see a lot of uh challengers to the throne the one team that i do see kind of like i don't they're 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 not going to compete for conference titles or anything like that but i think one team that could climb uh the rankings a little bit is oregon state i i really like kind of what they're doing down there they're starting to pick up the recruiting a little bit i mean they're never going to be great um but they're they're kind of they play like a they're kind of like a really physical brand of football they hit on defense they run the ball I think you give those guys a couple years and, and I think they're at least going to be able to like make some noise in the North, but I don't think they're going to you know, challenge the conference or anything like that.
0: So Dan, I want to end with one question. Um, I've been to a few UW games with you and with other friends. It's really a, a tailgating scene that I think stands up to um, a lot of other parts of the country. Certainly it's the best I've seen on the West Coast. Can you talk us through what tailgating is like at UW and how, how it's a unique atmosphere?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the unique atmosphere part of part of it is what people refer to as sailgating. So when you get on the boats, um, so Seattle's like a lot. It, it's a lot of water. It's like a lot like Waterworld. Like less Kevin Costner, slightly less apocalyptic, fewer jet skis and more yachts. Um, but so you can take your boat to the game, um, park right outside the stadium. If you've ever seen an aerial shot of the stadium, you got the kind of like regatta out there of boats. And you just hang out there, and you just get plowed. Um, and then there's a little water taxi that'll come pick you up, take you to the game, and drop you back off. That's cool. Um, I mean, the the going to a boat and drinking on a boat and going to the game is, is cool. I think really that like the biggest advantage of sailgating that no one talks about is uh, there's no porta potty lines. Like all you gotta do if you fill up, all you gotta do is jump in the lake and you're good, and then jump back in the boat. Done.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't rain every home game, right?
1: It does not rain every home game. It probably doesn't start raining until mid-October.
0: And before then, it's, it's a beautiful scene. You can see mountains. So it, I'd put it on people's bucket list if you're into checking out college football away games.
1: It's a beautiful scene where you and 20,000 other people can watch Rutgers.
0: College Football Word Association. Cool guys, let's flip to an, our next segment here. We're gonna call this one "Word Association." So we'll go around the horn. We're gonna ask uh, Bulldozer questions about Alabama. He's gonna give us a quick response, and then we'll follow up in turn with the other teams. Let's do this. Alabama word association. Joey Freshwater.
2: Dick Swagger. Steve Sarkeesian. Functioning alcoholic.
3: 85 yards to the heart of the South.
1: Sugarball sucks.
3: Kick six.
1: The Day My Heart Broke. Nick Saban's Daughter. Crazy Bitch in the Club.
3: Saban Press Conferences.
2: Illuminating.
3: Satellite Camps.
2: Horrible, the
3: worst.
1: Harvey
2: Updike. True American Hero.
3: Paul Feinbaum Show.
2: Used to be good.
0: Clemson, we're an association. Bootleg. Dabo.
1: Charlie Waiters.
0: Beautiful Man.
1: Steve Spurrier.
0: Quitter. Clemsoning. Irrelevant.
3: O.J. Howard.
0: Nightmare Fuel.
2: Bojangles.
0: Delicious Breakfast. Life After Deshaun. Optimism.
2: Real Death Valley, Tiger Stadium.
0: Louisiana sucks. Ohio State Word Association. Lloyd Carr.
3: Bum.
1: Sweater vest.
3: Classy.
2: DUI Checkpoint.
3: Unfortunate. Maurice Clarette. Also unfortunate. (laughs) Wendy's. Glorious. Baconator all day.
2: Tattoo bartering.
3: Headlines. Carbot. Fry Baby.
2: Big Ten Championships.
3: Overrated.
0: Washington Word
3: Association. Tyrone Willingham.
1: Disgrace.
3: Marcus Tuiasasopo.
1: Winner. USC. One wrong turn from the hood. Psalm Woo Fucking disaster.
0: Apologize for your conference. And our last segment here is going to be what we call apologize for your conference. So guys, um, if you feel like you owe the football watching community an apology on behalf of your conference... Has your chance. Let's start out with the SEC, everyone's favorite conference. Bulldozer, you're on.
2: What I need to apologize for to the average football viewer is how Nick Saban has ran a train through the rest of the SEC, causing them to fire all their decent coaches to look for young talent to come back and bring their programs and beat Nick Saban. And All it turns into is just who's Who's the most recent person to work for Nick Saban? Let's hire him and let's watch him lose to Nick Saban. I'm sorry the conference is on a downturn. We need to do some outside hiring and not just get Coach O for everybody. I'm sorry.
1: All right, Nick, I'm gonna need you to apologize for the ACC.
0: Esteemed football fans, I'd like to apologize for the ACC. Outside of Florida State and Clemson, there really haven't been very many watchable games out of our conference. Sorry you've had to put up with this. Really, some people think we made a lot of good coaching hires and the games have become more watchable. But I'm sorry, that's probably not going to happen. You might also not know that Louisville is now part of our conference. I'm sorry you didn't know that, because they're stuck playing games on Friday nights. I'm sorry about that. We'll try to do better. Joe, now's your chance to apologize for the Big Ten.
3: To the college football community, I'm sorry that we're the best team in the best conference in the country. I'm sorry that three of the top six are Big Ten teams. I'm sorry that four of the top eight Big Ten teams. And I'm really sorry that Penn State blew everything up and acted like they deserved to be in the Final Four.
0: Dan, you're up. You need to apologize for this West Coast Pac-12 situation.
1: First and foremost, I wanna apologize to the college football world for putting you through Oregon for so long. With the 5,000 uniform combinations, the rise of a completely fake program driven by Phil Knight's Nike money, I'm sorry. It's over, that program is dead. We don't have to worry about it anymore. I wanna apologize for the respectable teams in the Pac-12 being down for so long. Teams like USC and Washington that can play actually nationally relevant football. It's been a while. They're back, not going away. I just want to apologize for what you had to watch in the meantime. I want to apologize for UCLA, for being the softest, most overrated program in the history of college football. Actually, I want to apologize to all the NFL fans for having to ask that question, where did this guy play in college? Where the hell did this guy come from? The answer is UCLA. Uh, I want to apologize for Colorado in a conference championship game. I don't know how it happened. Never should have happened. Uh, I'm sorry you had to watch that. And finally, uh, I just want to issue a blanket apology for just cow across the board. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that.
0: All right, and that will conclude our College Football Playoff Podstravaganza show. I want to thank our panelists for coming on today um representatives from the fama uw osu and myself clemson fan bases it's great to get that perspective and really hear what some of the keys to these matchups are learn a little bit more about the states of these programs and really where true fans um, feel like the programs are at this point um, hope you guys enjoyed the show we will be distributing this through the podcast or through the podcast itself um, encourage you guys to follow us on twitter and facebook um, add the podcast to your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss a program here um, and tell a friend we appreciate the word of mouth here in full season stay tuned for more as we conduct more interviews and preview shows leading up to uh, new year's eve and on into the national championship game as well thank you and as always go tigers